0: Hello, everybody. This is Sean McFan. This is going to be part five of our First Thessalonians chapters four and five rapture chapters study. I'm going to dive right in, but before we do, please like, subscribe, and turn on notifications for this channel. And uh, make sure if you're digging this study that you share it and get the conversation going, because I like to think that I'm hitting some things that I don't often see people talking about. Now, the church has been around for 2,000 years, so I find it hard to believe that it's not been talked about before, but it is certain that it's not being talked about much right now in this way. So get in on the conversation. I look forward to your comments, to your questions. Please share, share, share. Without further ado, let's dive right back in, and I want to dig a bit deeper into 1 Thessalonians 4.15, where he says, By the word of the Lord, we declare to you that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. So I think now that we've much more thoroughly examined the scriptural cross references that paint a much more vivid and clear picture of what Paul's talking about, I think we need to acknowledge that our English translation doesn't quite serve Paul's purpose here, especially as we've examined all the context that surrounds it. We who are alive and remain in the presence of the Lord, that might be a much more appropriate way to read the Greek, since the word often translated into coming in English, which is the Greek word parousia, it means presence, albeit of a specifically royal type of presence. For to remain alive is to remain in his presence, is to remain in his light, is to remain in His day, right? He is the life. So if you remain with him in his presence, you're alive. He is the light. To remain with him is to be a son of light, etc. Now it continues. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. After that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will always be with the Lord. What Paul is describing here is how even when Christ descends at the last trump to raise the dead, those who are awake will remain in his presence and always be with the Lord. Okay. The sequence of events that Paul's showing here, in fact, is simultaneous. There's the Lord's descent for the resurrection of the dead while, at the same time, the living are caught up together in the clouds with those being resurrected, again, in real time or simultaneously, or, in Paul's words elsewhere, in the twinkling of an eye. And this is so that they would always be with the Lord. Okay, so in case it isn't clear, Paul is teaching the Thessalonians, as well as the Corinthians, right, that those who were born again would never die. And would always be in the presence, in the parousia, of God. While those who are not born again, who are not faithful Christians, they would fall asleep. In other words, they would be in darkness. They would be sons of darkness, right? Nonetheless, in human terms... Paul is in no way teaching that they wouldn't die physically. In fact, they had to die physically in order to be raised spiritually, right? In order to be clothed in imperishability and immortality, that is to receive their spiritual body, right? And this is what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which we went over in the last part. So the picture Paul is painting of immortality before the last trumpet is of souls, Remaining somehow alive in the presence of the Lord. And in fact, this is precisely the picture painted by Apostle John in Revelation 20 verse 4. He says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded by their testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or hands and they came to life. And it says they reign with Christ for a thousand years and we'll get to a thousand years later. But what John calls this is the first resurrection, okay? But what Paul says is we who are alive and remain in the presence of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. Okay, Paul says the dead in Christ, the sleeping ones, will be first to rise. Okay, is there a contradiction here? No. It seems to me with Revelation 20 verse 4 being our crucial evidence that the first resurrection is not the resurrection of the last trumpet in which the perishable puts on the imperishable and the immortal puts on the immortal, right? This is something which doesn't apply to we who are alive and remain in his presence. In other words, this group instead is only changed, as Paul says. Now, John offers another clue about the first resurrection group. It says the second death has no power over them. Now the second death concept appears by name nowhere else in the scripture except right there in Revelation. But the idea of two different types of death does occur elsewhere in scripture and we've just been discussing it throughout this entire study to date. Because of the faithful, Christ said, they'll never die, right? Of the faithful, Christ says, they'll never die. The faithful Christians have been dying physically ever since Christ said these words, right? So what he means is that they will never die spiritually, since during their physical lifetimes, the faithful are born again spiritually. However, the unfaithful are spiritually dead, and they will also die physically. So these are the two deaths. They are spiritually dead, and they also will die physically. Now, as to which death is first and which is second, I would speculate that the physical death is first and the spiritual is second based on Paul's two body categories in 1 Corinthians fifteen forty six, where he says the spiritual however was not first but the natural and then the spiritual right so he puts the natural body being first and the spiritual being second therefore we can surmise that the death which is natural just like the natural body is first and the death, which is spiritual, just like the spiritual body is the second death. Okay. So what John calls the first resurrection is what Paul would call alive and remaining in the presence of the Lord. Having been born again, spiritually, they will never die again, even at physical death because they remain in the presence of the living God. Right. This is Jesus's teaching to his disciples before he raises Lazarus. Okay. Nonetheless, Paul teaches that this first resurrection group doesn't receive a spiritual body and isn't clothed in imperishability or immortality until after the second group, the spiritually dead, those who are asleep, are raised first. Okay? This is the point. This this point is why Paul brought this up in the first place, because it connects all the way back to what he said at the beginning about proper behavior towards outsiders. He's saying, don't be arrogant. You who are awake, you who are alive, you are children of the day and you walk in the light as sons of God. But it's those who are asleep, who are spiritually dead, who are the children of the night, who walk in darkness. They are the priority here. God is going to raise them and clothe them in immortality before you. It's for their sake that you are working. I have sent you to preach to them. I'm going to raise them first and then and only then well, I change you, right? We will be changed. Wow. This is our God. This is the God who leaves behind the 99 for the one lost lamb. Is it so surprising that God would prioritize the unfaithful? Because Jesus himself said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke five thirty-two. Lest we forget the name of the game here, Jesus was adamant about this. I tell you, he said, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He said that in Luke 15, verse 7. Forget the parable of the lost sheep at your own peril. This is kind of what Paul's teaching here. Paul is teaching No different than this, that the good shepherd forsakes the 99 to seek and save the one that is lost. He put it in really stark terms in 1 Corinthians 4, 9. He says, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. The first shall be last, in other words, and the last shall be first. Is any of this ringing a bell? Doesn't this sound like Jesus? Now, this is not to say then that it's better to be unfaithful than to be faithful Right? What shall we say then? Should we sin more, so that grace abounds more? No, of course not. Paul says, Christ died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. We all may live together with him. Us who are awake and them who are asleep, we may all live together with him. Now, we might be tempted, given our exegesis up to this point, to think that Paul is teaching universalism, But remember way back at the beginning of the study, he had a stark warning for those who neglected the apostolic teaching. He says, It is God's will that you should be holy. You must abstain from fornication. Each of you must know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. Right? Not like the Gentiles who do not know God. And no one should ever violate or exploit his brother in this regard because the Lord will avenge all such acts as we have already told you and solemnly warned you. And John provides the stark imagery for this vengeance in Revelation 20.15, says if anyone was found whose name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. John calls the lake of fire the second death, which we speculated was likely spiritual. And indeed, it would have to be since Paul teaches that the natural body is raised a spiritual body. And since the second death is inflicted upon the resurrected person, this would therefore be a person raised into a spiritual body. The second death is then, by deduction, spiritual death. Now, what does this mean? Whatever it means, it has to square with Paul's teaching that the person in this state, whom Paul calls asleep, is somehow living with the Lord together with those who are awake. Well, how can the damned be living together with the Lord alongside those who are awake, the saints in heaven? Well, we'll be looking at that in the next part. Thank you so much for listening. Like the video if you like it. Subscribe if you want to subscribe. And turn on notifications so that you can be notified whenever a video comes out. Please share this. If you're getting something out of this, please share it. Get the conversation going. There's nothing better than iron sharpening iron. Come, let us reason together, right? We're just all searching the scriptures and learning and learning and learning, learning about the wonderful things our God has said to us through these stories. God bless you. I hope you enjoyed it. And I look forward to speaking with you in the next part. God bless. Adios.